Let's start with a proposition for something different today. Here it is. God wants you to do. That God wants you to fight against the true enemy. <laughs> and according to the Bible, you'll I'll read the scripture in a moment here, and you'll find out who is your true enemy. Because the Bible mentions your enemy as, well, in Ephesians 6, it mentions the word devil. It mentions the spiritual forces of evil, just to name a few. But as we look at this, and a lot of things are this way, there's, there's huge pendulum swings, and excuse my pathetic attempt at graphic art using PowerPoint, but uh, nobody laugh. It's not supposed to be funny. But here's the pendulum swings, right? That little thin line is supposed to be a string or a chain or something, with the ball being the pendulum, okay? So but here's, here's the extremes in, in regard to our enemy. And some people just see... Satan behind every tree and under every rock, and he's, he's everywhere, right? That's how some people view him. There's certain movements that tend to go down this route. So that's one extreme, but then some people go the other way in their pendulum swing, and they just ignore Satan as if he doesn't even exist, right? He's, he's not even in their thinking, you know, he's not a real being, and, and so, you know, what's the use of trying to think about something that doesn't exist. And then, and then there are other people who, well, they've just kind of turned Satan into a legend, right? So if you, if you do a Google Images search, for example, or you see comics out there about Satan, how is Satan usually portrayed? Do you ever, do you, do you think of him like that? Well, that's kind of the scary version. The comic version is funny looking, right? He, 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 what is he, what's the color, color of his skin? Red, right? What's on his head? Horns, right? What's coming up? You know, he has a tail, and of course, you've got to have the pitchfork, right, to complete the picture of what some people think of him. So he's just a legend in some people's minds. But when you come to the Bible, the Bible takes Satan very seriously and takes his spiritual forces very seriously. And so if you're like me and you accept the scriptures as revelation from God, then you can't deny the reality of a being called Satan. Uh, if you do, then you're actually against Jesus here, okay? <laughs> May I remind you, you're not only against the Bible, you're against Jesus. Because th think of this, all the way from the first book in your Bible to the last book in your Bible, mentions this being called Satan. Jesus talked a lot about him as well. Jesus' teachings assume and, and even affirm Satan's existence and his activity in this world. Uh, I mean, after all, he, Jesus is the one who created, well, he didn't create Satan, but originally created Lucifer, and Lucifer ends up becoming Satan. Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. But the other thing you also need to know is that Every writer of the New Testament, including the Apostle Paul himself here, affirms the reality and activity of Satan. He's everywhere in Scripture. So let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about our enemy here from this passage on spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, we're going to start uh, in verse 10. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We'll stop there for the moment. But I want verse 12 to kind of be our focus and jumping off point here as we take on this very big, vast subject of who is our enemy. Because verse 12 mentions that we are wrestling. <laughs> Did you see that? That word wrestle? Uh, that, is, that is a hand-to-hand kind of a combat. It is... It is close. It is an intimate fighting with someone who you are touching, whom you can see and smell and feel, okay? Right? It's, it's kind of like uh, if you talk to my dear friend here sitting in the front row. Uh, this is kind of what he does when he does the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? It, it's jiu-jitsu. That's a hard word to say. It's, it is very close. There's a, there's a, there's a wrestling and, and, and a hugging, and you, you usually end up on the floor, he says, right? Because you're, you're so close to one another. And uh, anyway, but that's the idea here. Wrestling was something Paul was familiar with. The Romans were familiar with this. And, and God's saying, we are in this spiritual warfare, and it is a wrestle. But who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? Well, <clears throat> notice who your enemy is not, first of all, there. Your enemy is not a person. Your enemy is not a group of people. Now, that tends to be where we we go, because we can see people, we can see these groups and how they're affecting us. So let me just throw out a few that might apply to you. So if you're a libertarian, you, you you might be tempted to think the government is your enemy. Uh, if you're a farmer, you might be tempted to think the greenies are your enemies. I'm not a farmer, and I, t- I, I, I tend to go that way myself. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> if you're one of these anti-globalist kind of people, and you, you, know, you tend to see uh, conspiracies everywhere, you might think the UN, United Nations, is your enemy. Uh, if you are a capitalist, you might think the Marxists are your enemy. Or if you are a conservative, you might think the leftists, the progressives, are your enemy. If you're a pro-life person, you might think the abortionist and the pro-choice people are your enemy. Right? Do you see how this tends to work? Right? And I've only named a few that have just popped into my head here. 
But this is how it works. We tend to make these groups and these people our enemy. But God says, no, they're, they're not your enemy. In fact, those, are, those people are only tools in the hand of your real enemy. Who's using them? Well, the real enemy is the spiritual forces of evil that are mentioned here in verse 12. In other words, who is this? This is Satan and the demons. Satan and demons are your real enemy. So let's talk about Satan very quickly. Introduction today for you and these demons. First of all, you need to understand where did this guy come from? Well, I don't know if he's a guy, but you, I'm just saying that in general, okay? So let's talk about the creation of Satan. Now, when I say that, let's, let's look at Ezekiel 28, okay? First of all, you understand that God didn't create Satan. God created Lucifer. But let's, let's see where he comes from here, okay? Ezekiel chapter 28. Yeah, that, that major prophet, uh, kind of in the middle of your Bible there, is very helpful to us here. Ezekiel 28 tells, first of all, notice verse 12. We see that Satan had unparalleled perfection, at least in the beginning here. Uh, verse 12, uh, when, when you get down to the poetry part there, the indented part is your poetry, it says, talking about Satan, that you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So, so here's Lucifer at this moment. He, he is the apex of God's creation. The greatest creature that Jesus ever made at this point. And notice he is filled with wisdom and perfect in beauty. So Satan is unparalleled in perfection. Number two, in verse 13, we see he had unparalleled habitation. Notice it is you, verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created, they were prepared. Now this could refer to a heavenly Eden, or it could also refer to the earthly garden of Eden. Uh, in, in either case, this was before sin entered. You realize that Lucifer was created before sin ever entered the world. Uh, and so he's been given this unparalleled habitation. It's a very unique place in the world, in this universe. Uh, verse 13 also tells us that he had unparalleled covering. I mean, the, the awesome description. I mean, wouldn't you love to be dressed in all of those diamonds and emeralds and the, the other beautiful stones? I mean, all of them combined together would have been stunning. And his beautiful robes indicating something of the glory that God had bestowed on him. And then number four, he had unparalleled function. Verse 14 says, You were an anointed guardian cherub. God said, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. Whoa. So here he is. He belongs to this very special order of angels called cherubim. Uh, they were associated with the, the guarding uh, of the holiness of God. 
here he is. He's at the very throne room of God. He apparently is there in the actual presence of God because uh, notice it says that here's, here's uh, Lucifer on the holy mountain of God. He's walking even among the stones of fire. Uh, that's a likely reference to the very presence of God himself. And so apparently Satan was the chief guardian angel, cherubim of God's holiness and majesty. Very unique place. And then number five, Satan had unparalleled perfection. Again, verse 15, it says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So he's blameless. He's righteous in the beginning. He's perfect in the sense of being uh, a being that is completely sound, and he is a, he's a being that has total moral integrity. But sadly, number six, we see that Satan had unparalleled sin. Unparalleled sin in verse 17. Because look how God describes him in verse 17. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So what's his sin? It's pride. Pride. His sin, by the way, is all the more heinous because of his great privilege, his great intelligence, and his great position that God had given to him. So his sin, by the way, was all the more damaging because of, of, of all this great position and power that God had given to him. And so the, the effects of his sin ends up becoming very widespread. So it's really sad what's going on here, and, and I'm really I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful we have another book of the Bible, and another prophet of God that helps us out here. So turn over to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, which is a couple books before Ezekiel. Go to Isaiah 14, and, and he really helps us to understand out a little bit more here what was the sin going on in, in Satan's mind. Kind of a play on words, but Satan had an eye problem. And there was no eye doctor who could fix his eye problem. And I say eye problem because five times it's, it, it says, what was Satan's problem here? So let's read uh, in Isaiah 14, uh, starting in verse 13. Uh, back, uh, yeah, yeah, verse 13. So here, here, God knows Satan's heart, and notice he says in verse 13, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Notice the I problem? I, I, I. Five times he says this. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. So what's he doing? He's, he wanted to steal God's throne. He wanted God's authority. He wasn't content with the way God made him. And so in verse 14 it says, here's Satan again, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you were, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Yeah, 
So what's he doing? He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like God. And this is the same lie he throws at us, by the way. So you need to understand his schemes here. So the very sin that caught him is, is the very one he throws at us. So that's the sin of Satan. He, he wanted God's authority, his power. He wanted to be like God. He was very, very proud. And that's why he's got a serious eye problem here. And so there's lots of names given to Satan in the Bible. Uh, for sake of time, I've just threw them at you. By the way, that list is not exhaustive. It might wear you out, but I don't mean exhaustive in that sense. But it, 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 there, there's 20 of them. Those are the ones that are probably used the most. Of course, Satan is his most common name, and that's why I put it at the top of the list. In fact, your Bible uses it 52 times. And in fact, it is the Satan. The Satan means he is your adversary. In other words, he's your enemy. He is your enemy. The second most common title or name for Satan in the Bible is devil. Used 35 times in the Bible, and it means he is your slanderer. Slanderer. He's one of these guys who stabs you in the back, right? You know, he, you know, like you know, he walks up to you and kisses you, and then the knife comes behind you and gets you, right? You know, the slander is just vicious. That's the way he is. And as you look at this list, we're not going to look at all the scriptures. I've given some of them to you there, but. As you look at that list, notice the variety of names that Satan has. And here's the point, my friends, is that uh, all those names should alert us here to the fact that he can take, he's kind of a shapeshifter, if you will. He can take the, the form of all sorts of things, right? Don't, don't just think of him as a guy in red skin with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. In fact, uh, he, can, he can have all kinds of varieties of ways of getting at you and attacking you. He can, he can be fierce like a dragon. The Rev, book of Revelation calls him a dragon. Or he can be attractive like an angel of light. Satan, in other words, can adapt himself and his tactics can change and suit uh, the very person whom he wants to attack. See, for one person, coming at them like a dragon might work, but that may not work for you. So he'll change his form and look like an angel of light. Oh, he's nice looking. He's smiling. He's kind. Do you, do you see the danger here? And so as you look at this list, just, just take note of that. There's a variety of names there, and they're all dangerous in their way. So number three, notice he is the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness, the king of death, the prince of this world, the god of this age, the dragon, the deceiver, Apollyon. Apollyon. So when you read the Pilgrim's Progress, by the way, that just means he is the destroyer. He is Beelzebub. That means prince of demons. So he's the ruler. He's the number one top dog of the demons. Belial, that means he is vile. He is ruthless. 13, he's the wicked one, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, an angel of light, the father of lies, a murderer, the enemy. By the way, 
in that passage there, Jesus is the one who calls him that. Jesus called him the enemy. Take note. And then last, Peter calls him the roaring lion. Those are all helpful things that that just point out to us the varieties of ways that he can attack us. Next, let's look at the activities of Satan. What's he up to? What's he doing? Oh, he's doing all sorts of things. Okay. First of all, we see that Satan attempted to stop Christ's mission. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, by the way. Do you remember the curse for Satan? Right there in the Garden of Eden that God gave to the serpent who was Satan? There was a curse for him that one day somebody would come and would crush his head. Surely he knew this curse. Surely he heard that curse. And he doesn't like it. He's doing everything he can to stop it. And so when you finally come to your New Testament, what do you see Satan doing? Well, if you read your Old Testament, you see, you see, starting with Abraham in Genesis 12, right? He, and then working through all the patriarchs and through the history of Israel, you see him trying to stop Jesus coming. And since that didn't work, Jesus shows up, Matthew chapter 1. What does he do? Well, Satan used King Herod to try to kill all the children under the year of age 2. Well, that didn't work. And, and we see all sorts of other plans of Satan attempting to stop Christ's mission. We, we see uh, that Christ actually said to the Apostle Peter, uh, to get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Remember that conversation? Why did he tell Peter, get behind me, Satan? Because Peter was aligning himself with Satan's plans in this situation, and Peter's disagreeing with what Christ was saying about he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. Say, uh, Peter didn't like that. And of course, Satan knows that was God's mission for Christ. So, Satan uses another one of Jesus' disciples. You remember the Bible tells that when Judas was about to betray Jesus, the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. He's trying to stop the mission. The most direct attack on Jesus was actually in Matthew chapter 4. We're not going to read that passage. Hopefully you're familiar with 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days of temptation when Jesus is hungry and thirsty. His his body is, is suffering greatly. And the Bible says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness in order that he would be tempted by the devil. So, so the Holy Spirit's giving Satan a perfect opportunity to stop Christ's mission. Satan's going to throw his best everything at Christ, and he's going to lose, big time. I mean, it's like, it's like um, I saw this, this monk who was in a fight, for example. He was in a boxing fighting match and you know one of these cage matches and the other guy just came up to him and the guy's just standing there smiling and grinning and being cheeky while the other guy's just pummeling him hitting him and and he's taking the guy's best hits and the guy's just smiling like he's got this like he's demon possessed or something like your best doesn't even hurt me and that's 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 what the devil did to jesus he gave him his best shots 
40 days Satan's tempting him with many temptations. And just the last three of those temptations were amazing. They, they were actually suited for Jesus, perfectly suited for him. Only the God-man would, would be really tempted by those kinds of things. Only Jesus could turn stones into bread. Only Jesus could jump off the temple and land unharmed. Only Jesus could expect to have all the kingdoms of this world. They were already his, anyway. But what was the point? The, the whole goal of Satan's temptation of Christ was to eliminate his suffering, to stop him from going to the cross and accomplishing the mission. He offered the Lord glory without the cross. And this would have made his substitutionary death unnecessary. And so specifically, Satan is tempting Christ with three things. They all start with the letter I. He's tempted with independence, indulgence, and idolatry. Jesus takes his best shots and survives. Satan attempted to stop Christ's mission, but he was unsuccessful. Number two, Satan offers a counterfeit kingdom and program. He offers a counterfeit kingdom and program, just like he did to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. I assume you're familiar with Genesis 3. By the way, the counterfeit here is first attempted on mankind right there in the Garden of Eden. And what does Satan do? He offers Eve the chance to be like God. Oh, doesn't that sound nice? You can be like God. You can know good and evil. God isn't good. He doesn't want what's best for you. And by the way, today Satan is promoting a form of godliness while denying its power. And to do this, Satan disguises his servants, the Bible said. He he disguises them as servants of righteousness. Sometimes he puts them on TV. Sometimes he allows them to write a book. Sometimes he even puts them in the pulpit of churches with nice smiley grins. And they even might use the Bible once in a while. Servants of righteousness. He promotes a false doctrinal system and he's using false teachers to teach, by the way, some of the two extremes would be a a false asceticism as Colossians 3 talks about where you, you just deny yourself of all this stuff. And that'll make you more godly. You know, God will smile on you if you deny yourself of these things. Or uh, the other extreme is an unrestrained liberty. You can do whatever you feel like doing. So Satan is using those tactics. And the ultimate counterfeit, by the way, is going to come in the book of Revelation, the coming of the Antichrist, who the Bible says is actually controlled by Satan. Number three, Satan deceives the nations. Read the book of Revelation. All those nations think they're doing their own thing, their way. They think they're in charge. No, they're not. The dragon, that ancient serpent, Satan, right there behind all the stuff taking place in the book of Revelation. How does he do this? He deceives them into thinking that they can govern righteously in this world apart from the rule of King Jesus. What fools. And during the Great Tribulation, Satan is going to deceive the nations into receiving the Antichrist as their false savior. What's he doing? It's just another counterfeit. 
Another counterfeit to deceive the nations. Number four, Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers so they will not accept the good news of the gospel. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 mentions. Satan often does this, by the way, by making people think there's all kinds of ways to heaven, right? Many roads to God. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Really? Didn't Jesus say in John 14 that He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father except through Me? He did. And so there, you know, and then you get you get other people who just say, "Well, there is no heaven. <laughs> there is no heaven." And so, what's Satan doing? He's throwing out counterfeits. It's a blindness, and so this blindness is attacking the minds of people. And it, and by the way, it requires a power greater than Satan to remove that blindness. And that's why nobody can save themselves. Nobody can save themselves. God saves. He's the only one greater than Satan. Number five, Satan tempts believers to commit evil. He he tempts believers, even believers can be tempted by Satan to commit evil. So there's there's at least three ways he does this. In 1 John 2, for example, you know, it mentions the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yes, those are the three main categories. But let's just kind of give you some specific ways he does this. For example, he, he does this in trying to conform us to the pressures and the structures of society. The Bible calls this the cosmos, the, the world, right? He, he wants us to look and act like the world, but God says do not be conformed to this world. The, the second thing is that Satan tempts believers to cover up their selfishness classic example of this is in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They're the classic illustration of, of trying to cover up your selfishness. See, that couple wanted to keep some of the money from the sale of their property. It wasn't a sin to sell your property, by the way, but it is a sin to lie. <laughs> and, and so they wanted to receive praise from their contribution. They They wanted to walk into the Jewish temple and everybody to look at them and say, Wow, Ananias and Sapphira, your pure awesomeness. Hear the praise? Big head growing? Yeah, that's what they wanted. And of course, the Apostle Peter's there, and it's very interesting what the Apostle Peter says. He's very discerning, because the Holy Spirit's helping him out here. And so he discerned it was actually Satan who filled their hearts to lie. There's a third example. Satan tempts believers to immorality. Those are just some of the things I've noticed in Scripture. See, isn't it interesting that Satan can't create anything? He just takes all the beautiful good things that God makes, and then he corrupts them. See, in God's goodness, God provided marriage for the proper expression of your physical needs. But what does Satan do? Satan takes that beautiful thing we call marriage that God has made. He corrupts it, and so Satan takes the, the opportunity to tempt people into perverted sexual sins. 
Those are just some of the ways that Satan tempts believers to commit evil. Number six, Satan accuses and opposes believers. Job's the classic example. Just just read the first couple chapters of Job. You'll see Satan coming before the throne of God, accusing and opposing Job. Uh, there's other ways that he does this. He opposes our witness to the gospel. He he does this by confusing us when uh, he does what, what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 13, where he'll come along and he'll pretend to be a, a planter or a sower, and he'll plant weeds amongst the wheat. Ah, those weeds, those tares, they look very much like the wheat. Hard to distinguish. And sometimes... Satan plants unbelievers and wolves in sheep's clothing amongst his flock. In Mark chapter 4, we see Satan snatching away the word of God that has been sown in the field. Or sometimes Satan aligns the governments against believers. Another thing that Satan does is he spotlights our sins. He accuses us before God when we sin. But the good news is 1 John chapter 2. My friend, you have an advocate before the Father. You have a defense lawyer, in other words. And so when when Satan comes and, and, and does this before God, Jesus Christ stands up in your place and does what you can't do. He defends you. Third, Satan opposes the believer by bringing pressure upon us which... Sometimes it just seems unbearable. We can't bear it anymore. And to accomplish this, uh, to accomplish this, sometimes we, we end up collapsing and just giving up under that pressure. Satan wants to destroy your testimony. He doesn't want God to be glorified. He doesn't want God to be worshipped. He wants, he's quite happy for you to worship yourself. And so, Sometimes he just prowls around the earth like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. And so my friend, remember, Satan's powerful. He is very experienced. He's at least probably 6,000 years old. A lot of experience, life experience there. And on top of that, he has a whole horde of demons that are helping him. Remember that. It's a very serious threat. So, speaking of horde of demons, uh, let's just quickly talk about what are these demons like. There's all kinds of legends and weird things out there about these guys. So if you go to other sources other than the Bible, you can end up with all kinds of ideas. Very interesting ideas. But we're going to the authority himself, the one who even knows about them better than anybody else, God himself. So let's talk about these demons What are they like? Well, first of all, we see demons are actually genuine persons. And and by a person, I don't mean they have flesh and blood. A a person is defined by three things. Okay, A, a, A personhood is defined by intelligence, emotions, and will. And demons, we see in the Bible, have all three of those. They are intelligent, we see their emotions, and we see their will. So therefore, they are a person. So demons are not a force. (laughs) They are not some concept that just merely exists in our minds. No, they are real people, persons, sorry. And and by the way, their reality does not depend upon someone's ability to actually believe in them. 
God stated the real. Jesus talked with them. He knows the real. We need to believe the real. And so while on earth, it's interesting, uh, we, we read earlier in our scripture, Jesus actually talking to a horde of demons. They called themselves legion. Mark chapter 5. Luke chapter 8 mentions this same passage. So uh, turn over to Luke chapter 8. See, see what Luke has to say about these demons. Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> Interesting passage. Luke 8, we'll start reading in verse 28. Verse 28. So when this um, demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes sees Jesus, look, look what it says here in verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these So he gave them permission. So the demons came out of the man, and they entered into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So there you go. (laughs) So you, you see the demons here exhibiting intelligence, emotion, and will. Jesus is actually talking to them. He's having this conversation with these demons who are inside this man of the garrison. Number two, demons are spirit beings, according to Ephesians. You remember what Ephesians 6.12 said? They are the spiritual forces of evil. Spiritual, not physical. They are not flesh and blood beings like us. And generally, they're actually invisible to human beings. Most of the time, human beings don't see them. Though on occasion, their presence is apparent through various means. There have been people who have seen demons. Although it's hard to notice them sometimes. Number three, demons are evil. Because remember, what does the Bible say in Ephesians 6.12? They are the not just spiritual forces, but what kind of spiritual forces? They're spiritual forces of evil. That is their very nature. They're evil. Uh, they are fallen angels. Unredeemable angels who've made their final and ultimate choice. Uh, we, we see in the, the passage we just read, you know, in Mark 5 and in Luke 8, the demons are very powerful. Uh, I mean, this, this guy's able to break chains and bonds. He can't be held down. And so it's interesting, demons sometimes show superhuman strength as they're working through a human being. And and through the human being, the human being has greater strength than he has on his own. And there's some funny stories even in the Bible where people tried to overwhelm demon-possessed man, and and the one guy beats up several guys. 
Number five, demons promote idolatry. I'll read to you here some passages that show this, but in general, demons are acting as Satan's emissaries, and what are they doing? They're promoting not God's plan. <laughs> they want to destroy the plan of God. And Satan does not want people to worship God. And so what are demons doing? Demons are actively trying to turn people to the worship of idols. By the way, an idol is anything that takes you from God, that draws your heart from God, where you love something more than you love God. And so, this is something that's been going on a long time. We even see it in the Old Testament. For example, look at this. Psalm 106 is very illuminating when it says, They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to who? To the demons. Wow. How disgusting. Sacrificing your own children to demons. People did that. Some people still do it. And by the way, idolatry hasn't gone away. It's still around. It might look a little different from from maybe back here in some places of the world. Uh, For example, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he says this on the screen for you here. I imply that what pagans sacrifice... They offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now, in that context, it was, you know, talking about food that had been uh, offered to the demons. And uh, Paul's addressing the whole gray issues area there. So we do need to be careful. Even today, there are real demons, they can be worshiped. Idolatry is real and alive and well on planet Earth. Number six, demons promote false religion. They promote false religion. And I want you to, um, I put the verses on the screen here. If you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy 3, it's already on the screen. But uh, you need to be aware, how do demons do this? One of the ways they do this is they teach a worthless Savior. Everybody wants a Savior. Now, their, their Savior can take many different forms for people. And so the Apostle Paul warned about the teachings of the demons. They are teachers. Watch out. I want you to notice the doctrines, some of the doctrines that the demons attack. Real doctrine in verse 1 Timothy three, sixteen. Now, this, this is considered a great hymn of Christianity, kind of a summary of some of the Christian doctrines. But look what Paul says here, 1 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Talks about Jesus here, that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. They're going to depart from these key doctrines of Christianity here. What are they going to do? They're going to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. False teachers. In other words, 
The demons will use false teachers and authors and bloggers and so forth to spread their lies and their deception. So they, they teach a worthless Savior. They teach false doctrine. The, the, one of the most damning ones is they teach a salvation based on works. Works. 